Hi, welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Canty. You can learn more about me and my team at KatherineCanty.com. For more than two decades, I have been able to travel the country and help other people grow their business. From those experiences, I was able to work with a proposal team that generated success 90% of the time for over a decade. We have created a leadership coaching program that is creating 100% measured results as seen by the leaders, peers, and stakeholders. And finally, I have spent nearly a decade in boardrooms, corporate boardrooms, where we are learning what's working and what's not. And more importantly, we're able to take the communication from the boardroom and get it down to the front line so execution is easier to implement. You know, from all these experiences, we created a framework called Business Vitality. These are all of the best practices of leaders and and opportunities that have been coming up decade after decade. And a lot of this stuff has been in practice for more than 20 years, 30 years and beyond. And what we're learning is a lot of these folks that are remaining vital in business today are having to think differently. And to share a quote from one of my CEOs that I've worked with in the past, he told me all day long he can hire folks, but what he needs more of are people who think outside the box. So in an effort to pay it forward and celebrate successes, we are going to be sharing stories of leaders who are thinking differently and remaining vital in business today. Please stick to the end and we will share how you can be a guest on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Ryan Tansom, you are the co-founder of Arcona, found on the web at arcona.io. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Catherine, I'm excited to be here. I really appreciate you um, sharing some of your your stories before we hit record. So I'm looking forward to kind of digging into that a little bit more. Um, before we jump into it, can you tell me, Ryan, at a high level, a little bit about Arcona and and you? Yeah, um, try to be as succinct as possible. Arcona, we've been around since uh, I think it was like 2018. Um, it, but the journey to get there was a long one. And happy to share plenty of that story. But the Arcona, we've got. Uh, two lines of business, and the the whole the whole program is called Intentional Growth, Catherine. And it's we teach and help people that are entrepreneurs and founders how to view and run their company like a financial asset, so they can create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact, and truly grow a valuable asset that gives them the choices that they want to make everything that they've done worth it. And I learned that the hard way because <laughs> I, uh, I I actually grew up in a family business. My dad started in the early '90s for with one employee copiers and then uh we'd service him uh we uh he we and he, he scaled that up uh and then i joined in, uh, in 09 but we had about 21 million in revenue 115 employees three locations had to turn the business around and sold it in 2014 a lot of lessons learned and essentially i created the company i wish i would have known about when we were going through all that so i would have been able to create a valuable asset, had a lot more choices, had the you know framework to understand how the heck all that stuff was working. So um, I've spawned this baby that has uh, been, uh, came from the ashes of, of our personal experience. Okay. There's a lot that, that I feel like we all have these experiences and we just wish there was a solution that was out there. Very few people probably have the courage to be able to go and do that and say, look, I went through this experience and it didn't go as planned. So I'm going to change it. And this is the <laughs> service I'm going to offer. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, talk yeah, about absolutely. it, you know, D- talk about what it's like to 
know there's a need in the market and you're just kind of like, mm, how do we attack this? Um, you know, it was, uh, so I, well, I'll talk about, and we get, I'll, I'll kind of segment it too, is like before the sale, like all, like, actually we can talk if you want about what we did to turn it around, but what, when we sold it, I just what the heck was that? We sold it to a strategic buyer. It was not their fault, but we, out of the 90 employees, I had, I was running the business when we had sold it and it, it was a strategic roll-up. So we actually ended up gutting the company. It was a really emotionally hard day for me and financially paid a lot of taxes and debt. And I went, what the heck was that? And I didn't know what to do next. Honestly, I actually read this book called Finish Big by Bo Burlingham. Uh, and he's the, he was the editor of Inc. Magazine, founder of Small Giants. And it's like, like I wish I would have read that book prior to selling. <laughs> you can't, there's no take back. So it's on the company usually. And so I like went through a really hard, in, interesting, emotional phase of like, who am I without the business? And that's the whole premise of uh, Bo's book. So I spent a lot of time just learning and honestly trying to figure out who I was. And like, I signed a non-compete where I wasn't able to talk about the stuff that I was really good at. So I'm like, I don't know, like I'm just Ryan, I guess. And so a lot of that, like that re like regrowth is very challenging. And so that's actually where the podcast started is I started the podcast to try and figure out what the hell I went through and, you know, get just talking to people. So the podcast helped and a lot of uh, learning uh, helped. And it was a very long slog to try and figure out the product pricing fit of actually how to solve the problem. <laughs> the problem was obvious, how to monetize it and help people in a way that was you know, aligned with my morals and values, along with the uh, effort and reward that I wanted. Um, not obvious and uh, very difficult starting a business and growing it compared to turning one around. Wildly different experiences, I'll tell you that much. So, well, I have a couple of questions. Um, talk about the turnaround. Do you mind talking about yeah. what that's like? Um, and then I want to hear, well, I'll let you start with that. Talk about the turnaround if you don't mind. And with your background too, this is, I, I will, I will refrain to getting into too much finance banky speaking, uh, speaking, but <laughs> so the, what happened was Catherine is we we're running the business, even though it was 20 million in revenue, we're running it like a lifestyle business and everybody's got their own definition of what a lifestyle business is. So mine is, and our companies is, if you're solving for annual cash flow, mm -hmm. sucking as much company uh, cash out of the company through salaries, perks, and distributions as you can, looking for your K-1 at the end of the year, look up, keep going next year, look up, keep going, versus looking at the cash flow of the business and the understanding whether you're creating sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow and creating a valuable asset. We did not think like that because I didn't know all the stuff that I now teach. And, um, what happened was, Catherine, is um, my dad was very distant from the company. Margins disappeared out of the equipment that we were selling, and we had this maintenance revenue. And we had to turn the whole business around. So, like, we were actually what back in my dad's early days, we didn't, he was growing so fast we, as a distributor, we didn't have the cash. We did not have the correct funding. So, like, he actually ended up financing our receivables. We financed our receivables or factored our, our receivables for 14 years. Oh my God. That's a long it, time. It, it cost us about $5.8 million in hard costs, but we just, we just were selling. It was like revenue, gross profit, checking account, revenue, gross profit, checking account versus understanding working capital. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll refrain from going into the weeds, but we didn't know how to tie our long-term strategic goal of creating an asset to how are we going to fund that? How does it impact our salary or distributions and our taxes, which is pretty simple. And so what ended up happening is 
It's not when that I, simple. Not everybody's figured it out. <laughs> oh, oh shit. It took me 10 years after we <laughs> sold to figure out how to articulate it this clearly. And it's like, what happened was we, we were, I turned, we were turning the whole business around without a line of credit, essentially. I mean, which is just insane. It was just juggling cash flow every two weeks, $240,000 payroll on Thursday had to, the wire had to hit, never missed it. But it was just out of pure grit and hard work. So replaced uh, 55 of the employees by the time I was 25. 50, yeah, I was at like 55. Then it was new ERP system that we rolled out, like a few hundred thousand dollar ERP system. Sold a couple branches for cash. I built out the managed IT services and the document management. Rebranded so we could be a B2B tech technology provider. All out of pure survival and grit. Like just we got to keep, keep going every two weeks, do the payroll. And it was never intentional. And there was never this long plan of like, hey, how are we working on things today? And how, is it growing a valuable asset? Can we afford it? It was just out of just kind of guessing, um, you know, like common sense, entrepreneurial, you know, visionary guessing, but um, it just so crazy challenging, Catherine. And then all of a sudden we got to this point where my dad was like, I want out. Now, if someone says that to me, I know my, my first response is out of what, Catherine, your job? or your financial asset. And people look at me kind of confused. I'm like, well, you have a W-2 paycheck for things you do. You don't have to have a job at the asset that you own. Private equity is an entire industry that is predicated on that. Or you could get out of your asset and still have your job. People have no idea how to handle that kind of question. So we just didn't know all of this stuff. And so we felt so dang trapped every week on our L10 meetings or the weekly management meetings, do I want out selling, not selling, selling, not selling, you know, like just constantly this, you know, groundhog's day or the, the hamster wheel conversation felt so trapped, which is why we sold the business. There was no way for my dad and I to get what we want, even though we we're talking to CPAs and bankers and attorneys and investment bankers and Vistage, you know, CEO peer group. And every, we'd have all this great idea and we all these great ideas. And we'd come back and we're like, that sounds like an awesome tax strategy an awesome, you know, this strategy or that strategy. It's like, Hey, what does that mean to us? I don't know. Should we just go sell more shit? Sure. Let's do it. And then we went, kept, kept going back to it. So we, we just didn't know how to get out of that, which is why we sold. Hence all of the uh, wish I would have list that continues to grow even to this day. And it was really just this lack of an intentional plan. That was how do we grow our equity value at a point in time? How does that impact our ability to fund it, take a salary, take, pay our taxes and have the distributions that we want? There was no unified plan and we were just kind of making stuff up on the fly. Have a, you mentioned something earlier about the emotional day of, of kind of shutting this thing down. And I think in business, um, sometimes we don't always talk about the emotional part of it, of the emotion of having to be with people. And these are people, how long was mm -hmm. the business around for? No. Um, he's, uh, there was, oh my God, almost 20 years. Yeah. So you have 20 year relationships with some of these folks. You said oh, you replaced absolutely. 25 employees, like the emotional roller coaster that I have seen um, over and over again of what is involved with that. Um, do you mind just kind of talking about it and like, what was that day like and how do you get through it? And, and then yeah. what? So absolutely. Because this is actually, um, so we have five intentional growth principles that like one of my passions, Catherine, is I love taking all the complicated stuff and making it simple. And how do we think about things? Mm -hmm. um, which is why I like EOS retraction or Ray Dalio's new changing world order. Mine is just like the, the, the five intentional growth principles is just a way to think about this stuff. And it starts, the first principle is what's your vision? Kind of came out of Bo's book of like, 
the worst question you could ask a business owner after they've sold is who like what do you do well i used to <laughs> it's like the, our identity is so infused with our business i've done a bunch of research and there's actually now there's fmri scans that if you actually hold up a logo and then actually show uh, a child the like a business owner will actually have the same things in their brain light up same neurons like that's so it's not a joke anymore. It's truly like the actual same parts of the brain fire because it's this baby and, and it's really your identity so wrapped up into it. I was, you know, pioneering different ways of doing managed IT services. I had uh, read the Zappos book and was building a culture of like kind of the conscious capitalism culture, just a, all this amazing. So not only the, the products and services, the industry disruption community, our charity was tied to it, all of the you know, activities that we did with our employees for 20 years, it was my entire livelihood. And it was my income from my W-2. And it was our asset that was in the estate plan all at once, but we didn't have the way to articulate that. So I had this like passion to like, I want to create this company, Catherine, that was just going to disrupt the whole industry. And uh, we actually won the Minnesota wild as a full IT technology provider, crazy stuff that we were doing like 10 years ago. When we sold the value that, that the, the reason that the buyer bought us and this, none of this is their fault. I just didn't know what the next, like the order, like that second order effect of our decisions were going to be. They, they just wanted our customers and they wanted to sell more of their products and services to our customers. They wanted to grab a couple new, you know, some rockstar employees, but like I had, we'd spent millions of dollars in this managed IT offering that tr truly was not really that interesting to them. So like, and then all the employees, and again, they, they only took 34 out of the 90 employees. So it was 60 wow. about that they had, you know, that they didn't need. It was so, and then I'll get to your, I'll actually answer it is so that I have uh, this, I heard this recently. I loved it. Happiness is the Delta between expectations and reality. We want to shrink that and like eliminate the gap. <laughs> so like my expectations were that they were going to love the services and love all these employees and like, you know, be Ryan, look at what you've created. And it was like, thank you for the customer database and thank you for these people. And we'll, we're going to move on. And I, I went home and I truly, Catherine, I was in my first starter home and I was only 27 at the time. And I was with my wife and I sat on the edge of the bed and I cried. I'm like, what the F was that? Seriously, like what, like everything that I'd slogged away at for six years, it was just like this rug pulled out from underneath me because of the gap between expectations and reality. And it was not the buyer's fault. And so like, it was truly emotional because like, it was it all worth it. I don't know. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's what every entrepreneur thinks and asks is like, is this worth it? From the emotional, from the personal satisfaction, the wealth creation on the time and having fun. I mean, and so it was truly like, truly, I don't know. I mean, not traumatic. I don't know if you, if that's the right word for it, but out of Bo's book, again, when I read that, he interviewed like 300 business owners and finished big. 75% of them, regardless of the money that they made, were miserable afterwards. And I will, I will validate that because I've had 300 plus people on my podcast. Some people have a B, a B with their net worth mm -hmm. and you sell this infrastructure of this thing that's making an impact and creating wealth and, you know, whatever you're doing, whatever your mission is. And then it just disappears and becomes this Charles Schwab colorful pie chart and no one needs you and all your identity is gone. It doesn't matter if there's a B or a trillion or a million or, a, you know, a thousands. It, it, 
it doesn't create who you are. And people yeah. end up learning the hard way about that. So long winded answer, but I think it's important because that's really that question that you asked is what set me on this entire journey. I was walking with my mentor this weekend. I got to see him, Marshall Goldsmith. He's in Tennessee. And I asked him, you know, what are you working on now? He says, I have four clients. They live in Dubai and these are billionaires, you know, significant business people. He said, um, you know, he's, he's done a lot of stakeholder center coaching, but what he's realized where he is, he's in his seventies now and is looking, you know, just to continue to give back. And, and he said something and he said, there's these folks that are doing amazing things and they want to be, they want to find that happiness. They want to, um, continue to, to find what it is that that makes them happy because just because you make a bunch of money or you got a great job, whatever it is, it's not bringing the happiness. And he's found that the folks that he has worked with, the word is that he's able to get them into a happier place. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting that even at that level, there's still that need for happiness to, um, to be able to find that for the individual. So, and I think, well, it's, it, uh, makes a ton of sense to me. And I've done a bunch, like, I love psychology. I love macroeconomics. I've, I've kind of just gone down this insane, um, I'm addicted to just understanding things to try and help myself mm-hmm. understand where I fit into the world. And there's this need for human beings. We need to move forward towards something. So this whole thing of retirement, I think is complete BS. We're never just going to sit there. I mean, I mean, if I had to, like, if you said, Ryan, do nothing, I'd end up at like the VFW drinking all day long because it's like, what else am I supposed to do? I need to be moving towards something, but all joking aside, like that's everybody. And like, we need to wake up and move towards something. And there's this whole concept of relativity where life is a journey. And like the whole point of relativity is that you get to every experience you get to choose. Do I like that? Or do I want to be more like that or less like that? And we need community. We need other people to like bounce like experiences off of to realize how we're growing towards something and then finding that satisfaction of accomplishing things, the dopamine that goes towards that. There's all of this is just actual fact and science. We can't just stay stagnant. And a business is the most amazing vehicle to explore who you are, try things, grow things, and you're creating an asset along the way if you're doing it intentionally. And I think it's it's that desire to move towards something, be around everybody that when you sell and you, and if it was really ingrained in your identity and your social fabric and your network and your personal growth, and then you have no mechanism to do that afterwards, you got to figure that out. If you're truly going to get out of the job and the asset, you have to have some sort of transition period before you just kind of essentially do a hard cutoff. Just to share a little bit about me, this is hitting home because I was in corporate banking for probably 22 years or so, long enough, and I wanted to retire. Well, you know, I mean, a couple decades. You know. <laughs> yeah, you did a good, good stint. Yeah. So, and it was fun and I loved my customers. Um, you know, those are the folks that I miss the most. Um, I don't miss all the meetings, but I miss my customers and, um, they're fantastic. And so I told my husband that I was going to retire and, and, um, he was like, well, you're going to be bored. I said, I'll, I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. And, um, so then I, I do my version of retirement, which is not sitting at the house and chilling out. But I started to dabble in with podcasting and guesting on other shows because I'm like, 
I got to figure out who I am if I'm not that corporate logo anymore. And mm -hmm. it's a real shift. And so I've worked, I've been very lucky that I work with a lot of older folks that I've seen retire and come out of retirement because they don't know what to do, or they go into retirement and it's too late. You know, the spouse is passing away. They're by themselves. They want to travel. They don't have the health to do it. Um, just to be able to see all of that and to realize, okay, I don't want to be that logo for somebody else anymore. God, do I have the courage to stick my neck out and, and be able to, to go do this? And, you know, as we joked earlier, it's 20 years to become that overnight success. And so, you know, I'm just going to keep leaning into it and guesting on the podcast that then I was like, well, this is kind of fun. Maybe I'll have other people come over and talk to me. So, you know, it, it leads into this and that curiosity just allows for personal growth for me. Um, and it sounds like for you too, because you use podcasting, gosh, you've got how many episodes? 330. Close to. <laughs> that's fantastic. Every, every Thursday for 330 weeks in a row. I think that's fantastic. But like you're learning, you're growing, you're paying it forward. I think it is, it's fantastic. And you're, you're shaping your happiness. And it sounds like, you know, it, it you're finding it. Well, I appreciate that. And Catherine, I think going back to what you're saying is like, like, I think we all have multiple points in our life where we wake up and go, I don't like what I'm doing anymore. I want out of the, I want out of the people I'm talking to, the problems I'm solving, the headaches that are consuming my calendar, all of the crap, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all have that, like, mm, no more. But then our ability to pivot is difficult because our income and wealth creation is tied to the people we're talking to, the problems we're solving, the skill sets we have. But like, so it's like this kind of like, it's two sides of the same coin. Like, what are the things that we want to do? So there are three things that I think every entrepreneur, and I, it's really humans, create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact. We want to live in the intersection. It's like a Venn diagram. We're like, the moment that you like don't like talking to the people that you're talking to. Like, how can you pivot without blowing up your income or blowing up your wealth or like having to completely restart? And I love optionality because then I truly feel in control. It's like this Nassim Taleb. I don't know if you're banking experience with a, he's at one of the, the most uh, famous probability statisticians in the world, black swan, anti-fragile. It's like, I want to have the highest exposure, the most amount of options as possible, the least amount of costs. And so the moment that I don't like what I'm doing, I want to, I want to switch without blowing up everything that I've created. And I think a lot of people relate to that. And what happens is we get stuck in these, these circumstances where then if we, in order to truly change what we're doing, because that's, I think what, that's kind of the whole concept behind retirement. It's like, like, I remember being a kid going, okay, so the American narrative is be freaking miserable for 30 years and then be old. Then you can buy your convertible and have money. Mm -hmm. Like no comprende. Like I just, do it doesn't compute for me. So it's like, I have choices. So do you right now. Like, so I could go deep into the world of private equity or investment banking, make more money today than potentially long-term, but I would be forced to talk to certain people I don't want to talk to people telling me what to do. And so like, there's a, this kind of balance between the income, the wealth creation and the things I'm doing along the way that if people kind of think through this, this whole notion of retirement or the identity, you can create your flexibility the entire time. It's doable. If we're willing to have the courage and, and the confidence in ourselves to be able to do it and the discipline to just show up 
day in and day out and evolve based off of what those market needs are and knowing Mm -hmm. that what we used to do, we just don't need to do that anymore. Otherwise we're going to be obsolete. So Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about um, Arcona and how it's evolved over the years? And you said it was a um, opportunity. I love that word, an opportunity to figure out how to price it and to be able to connect with clients. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, so now that we've got some context behind like what I went through. So my goal was how do I, how do I help the previous Ryan who was running a business? I had no idea. <laughs> I actually, I'll, I'll kind of do a, like a hopscotch to, to get to kind of like the full context and I can kind of give some more depth behind it. Went into well, so I quit after 60 days. Cause I was, uh, I, I now realize that I'm professionally unemployable. <laughs> so like, What do you mean you quit after 60 days? You were so I purchased when I, you, you had to go work yeah, there. So I okay. was actually, I was the one that I actually had essentially terminated myself when I, we were doing these ad backs. They, they, they wanted me to stay and I got essentially a sales job. I was in all these meetings after 60 days. I'm like, I'm not capable of being an employee with little responsibility. I just, and I went in the Neil, the CFO, wonderful human being. He's like, I'm like, no, I quit. He's like, why? I'm like whose name is on the, on the building? It's like Loeffler. I'm like, it's not mine. <laughs> It's like, just, it's part of my DNA. And so I did no plan. I actually went into wealth management for a hot second for like 18 months. And really, Catherine, that's where my intersection between business operations and finance came together. I, I didn't enjoy that. That that was not my calling. But what I realized is, like, oh my God, like finance, like businesses are assets. They have cash flow statements and it's worth something. And that's where it kind of set the first domino in play. Then it was like, hey, how do I go out and help other my, my friends who also run companies? Like, hey, you gotta, you gotta, you know, and I didn't know what to say. And it was like, oh, build value with the end in mind, exit planning. And it was like all this exit stuff. After four years of not listening to the market and thousands of meetings and people realizing, like, okay, so I would say the word exit, growth and exit planning. People that wanted to dump or essentially get rid of their company that's not very well built, put lipstick on a pig and sell it. They want their retirement money in two weeks and don't want to like, they were the ones that are getting attracted to me. And all the people I wanted to work with who had time, energy, and capital were like, I don't want to exit. And it's a, it's a four letter word. My employees are going to be freaked out and all the things that I experienced too. I just chose to be stubborn and not listen. But then afterwards I'm like, huh? So like, what I, what I, instead of going into private equity or investment banking or like becoming an EOS implementer or consultant or whatever the, the different options were, I really w- love control as an entrepreneur. And I wanted to give control back to other entrepreneur friends of mine. It's like teaching. It's like, Hey, cause I found myself repeating the same stories. Okay, Catherine, for us to start actually solving your real problems, I have to get you up to speed on how valuations work, how deal structures work, how to actually financially model the valuation, your strategic plan, how to integrate that into your VTO. And like, so I'd have to explain all this stuff. Then we can start working. So that started the training program, the five principles in the training program. So fast forward to then 2018, uh, my, uh, the co-founder of Arcona, Pat, um, we complimented each other on a lot of different skill sets, worked on building out the training program, uh, late 2019, launched the in-person intentional growth bootcamp based on the five principles. You, do you catch that in-person end of 2019? Nice job. <laughs> so, yeah. So, oh, we, we did seven months. Uh, so we did October, November, December, January, February, March. And then it was March 13th that I looked at him. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're effed. 
I'm like, like we just launched this business that things were starting to, the flywheel was starting to take off. So it was five grand for two days. We'd have like 10 to 10 to 20 business owners in it. And so like that was March 13th, Friday. And Pat flew back to Ohio. I'm like, you're logging in tomorrow morning and we're recording the entire training program because we have no other option. And so we digitized it from March 15th and then launched the digital version May 30th. And um, that virtual uh, offering, it's like six hours. So it's not the full 16 of the two days. But I mean, honestly, Catherine, like we had that thing rocking and rolling so fast because we needed to, right? I mean, there was no choice. And now we've had 400 and some people go through the virtual program. And because every the volume of people went through it, and that was like, it's three grand with course and co- with the course and the coaching of the four coaching calls. We do it in group formats, all these different things. And people kept looking at us going like, whatever you're teaching in the financials, that's mm-hmm. super interesting. Cause we just make it make sense instead of being in like more of an accountant it's from a CFO investor lens. Well, we had like two dozen people go like, we want your help. Lo and behold, we started building out the fractional CFO service. I looked at Pat, I'm like, we're going to do this or not because we have so many people asking us. I explored partnering with some people, you know, to do some revenue share, found a lot of different uh, business models that I would not put my reputation on, which kind of forced us to build it out ourselves. So now we have a fractional CFO offering. And uh, so essentially my CFOs are between 150, 200 grand base pay up to like a quarter million dollars with, uh, with bonuses around my payroll. They get five clients. It's five grand a month. Not everybody needs a CFO. People don't know what a CFO means. And like, they're like, what are they going to do? And so that became a challenge. And the dollar amounts for certain people became a challenge. Led us to then launching this financial dashboard offering with like a light services with more of like the modeling and the planning. It's like all of these things have been iterations trying to solve the exact same problem. And I looked at my wife last night and I was like pulling up some of that because I have a speaker for Vistage. I looked at some of my presentations from 2015 and it's like the same damn message. <laughs> just like It went from like big project fees to like the training fee to then the CFO to then in all of this is a way to when I say the product pricing fit, that has been one hell of a journey. I mean, it's cost me a lot of money, a couple of different partnerships. And it's just what has been helpful for me is the guiding North Star of the equity valuation I want to create my experience and the problems and the people I want to work with along the way and the income that I'm getting along the way is like a measurement tool to say, am I on track or not? And how do I have to pivot instead of just wondering or waiting too long? And I know a lot of people wait too long to pivot, but um, that's a long story, but there's a lot behind, behind that. But it's, there's a thing as Mark Cuban said, I will never educate a market and start a business. And I'm like, I get that comment now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of work. Sounds like the um, the definition of business vitality, because what you're doing is you're evolving to what those market needs are, and you're able to pivot consistently, and you know when to, um, you know, scale up or scale back, and be able to offer those different offerings based on to when the market needs it, and you know it goes in cycles, it repeats itself, and sounds like you've kept good records, and it pulls back out and offer it again. Well, it's kind of like the, and I think the what like the definition of business vitality to me is like, and I'm not a sailor, so this is I might completely uh, blow up the analogy here, but like I've heard too many people like is sailing or flying, you take your destination and you lock it in, all the stuff along the way is going to be turbulent, right? But like 
you have an idea, like you have the ability to understand when you need to course correct. Cause you, so many people, Catherine, like, I mean, I do a lot of these keynotes and I'm like, what are your goals? It's like 20 million, 30 million, 5 million to 10 million. And I just look at everybody and this is revenue. I look, I'm like, I had a $20 million business that lost money and it was worth nothing. So who gives a shit? <laughs> it's like, truly, it doesn't matter. It, right. like, but we're all striving for this revenue mark. But it's like, what if the company's worth nothing? What if it doesn't accomplish your financial goals and you just wake up after 15 years and it's not worth anything versus saying, what is that target equity valuation at a point in time? And then what is, how are we going to fund that? How much salary? And we got to pay our taxes and distributions do we want, want along the way? Mm-hmm. And then now we've got our constraints and say, okay, are we, you know, if that's, if it, if we can't fund that while getting the, taking the distributions, we have to push on the timeline or reduce the valuation. But like, it's, it's based in reality. And it's that North star with like sailing or the, fl- or flight or like flying where it's like, you're always got that locked in. So it's not, you're not guessing when you should course correct. It becomes a lot more obvious. I found embracing constraints along my career has been extremely helpful. Um, I've built and remodeled a number of homes and everything that I've ever done is always, what are my constraints? What's the constraint on the budget, the time, the resources? Um, What are the restraints on whether I can get, you know, these materials and everything? Once I figure it out, I just reverse engineer and get back into it. And they're like, how can you make decisions? I'm like, it's pretty easy. I only had two choices because there's (laughs) nothing else out there right now. So yeah, yeah. I can well, relate. and it's like you're gonna love this, Catherine. Like one of my comments that I make in the pres- uh, my keynote is, if you were to ask the world's best master electrician to come over here, and you and I, let's say we're building a building, like, hey, Sally, why don't you just you, you're the best electrician out there? Why don't you make this for us? She's gonna go, what's the budget, and what's the timeline? You just got to make something up like you legitimately need a blueprint with a budget and a timeline. Otherwise, it's just all like you could just justify to the ends of the earth, like all the random decisions that you're making. Yes, um, I would have to agree. Tell me, you've got some resources available on your website. Do you mind kind of pointing those out if somebody wants to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Like anything people need about us is at arcona.io, A-R-K-O-N-A.io. Um, we've got 325 plus uh, podcasts that are also videos now. Um, we've got five videos, a bunch of videos on the intentional growth training. We have a financial assessment checklist. That's a downloadable with a bunch of videos uh, on the website as well. Um, yeah, any way to get in touch with me is definitely out there. And there's a way for people to just, you know, get start planting the seeds of their journey to help uh, everybody essentially become more intentional. Thank you. I really appreciate your time, Ryan. This is fantastic. Ryan Tansom, you are the co-founder of Arcona, found on the web at arcona.io. Thank you so much for joining us. Catherine, thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. My team and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Business Vitality Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. If you know of another leader, another CEO, a founder who has another success story that they are willing to share and be able to pay it forward, we would love to highlight their stories on this podcast. You can find more information at katherinecanty.com. And in the meantime, if you could take a minute and rate this show, that would be super helpful because that's going to allow more people like you to find us in order to continue to pay it forward. 
Again, if you need to learn any additional information, we are happy to help. You can find us more at katherinecanty.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn with my name, Katherine Ganty. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you.